Ben Malone and you're listening to the Under The Rhythm podcast where we lift the lid on some of the most exciting and influential DJs, producers and behind the scenes professionals in the dance music industry. And this episode, I speak to two of the busiest men in the game, touring DJs, producers and event organisers, Sammy Porter and George Mensah, as we talk about production, musical influences and running events in 2020. Welcome to Under The Rhythm. Without further ado, let's speak to Sammy Porter and George Mensah. Sammy Porter, George Mensah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you guys? Really well, thank you. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, mate, all good. Thank you. How is it? How is lockdown two been for you both? Um, me personally, uh, pretty busy actually. Um, kind of uh, lockdown just gives you more time to plan for obviously the reopening. So with the events and obviously uh, the music that I produce, I've just had more time to do more planning really. So it's been, it's been somewhat of a welcome break from being out every week, to be honest with you. We took July 4th opening the first time after lockdown one quite aggressively and, and, and really embraced the social distancing shows and just did yeah. loads of them. Um, so we were nonstop for about, I think, 18 weeks. So get, having four weekends off has been nice, to be honest with you. I want to talk properly about the events in a little bit. Um, yeah. But every podcast I do, I like to start with a round called Crate Diggers, where I like to try and learn a bit about you guys and, and your sort of careers to date through, through some musical uh, key moments uh, in your journey so far. So, um, George, should we start with you? Have you got three tracks that have been significant to your journey as an artist or as a professional in the kind of music space? Yeah. Um, um, do you want to kick us off with the first one? Yeah, I mean, it was always going to be a garage tune, to be honest with you. Like, um, I remember being as young as 13 or 14 and hanging around with the older boys, and they was into this new sound. I was still listening to E17 at the time, and um, they were like, <laughs> no, nah, you need to get on this. Uh, and I think the first tune that properly connected with me was Industry Standard, Why Don't You Tell Me? Um, I just felt like it was something I'd never really heard before. Um, and then. Um, one that's a lot more recent, actually, um, that is quite, I always kind of think about it when I'm making a record in terms of, I try and produce tracks that kind of cross over to both, um, girls and guys, um, with everything that I do. And Sonny Federa's version of Sinead Harnett's Unconditional, for me, has just got everything in terms of what, what I'd want to produce. Um, mm-hmm. and I play that a lot as well. And it seems to be a moment every time I play it. But then, in terms of true appreciation and kind of structure of a track, but most specifically to the way they build up their breakdowns, Dusky are like idols of mine and uh, nobody else is, yeah, I mean, even now, like it doesn't age. That Dusky music doesn't age. It's one no, of no, like the, it's just never, ever seems old. It always seems fresh. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I, I don't know. They, they, I, I, I've never met them so far, but I feel like they probably come from the garage era as well. And the way how they just kind of fuse that classic sound with forward-thinking sounds, like yeah, those three records, I don't think will ever leave my record mm. box. Yeah, and you mentioned at the start that you kind of like learning from the older guys. How did you get into like what was your kind of introduction to to music? Um. So probably stealing my dad's Walkman as early as 11 or 12. 
and experiencing sort of jungle music for the first time, that was when I kind of, I realised I was different to my friends. They was really into like pop and kind of like Cypress Hill and NWA was kind of big at the time. And I just wanted something a bit faster. I was always a bit more energetic in terms of what wanted what I wanted to listen to. Um, so kind of from there and then kind of, even as young as 12, 13, 14, I wanted to be cool and underground and I heard it first and all that stuff. So it was a natural progression to get into Garage. And then obviously one day I kind of thought, ah, oh, I've kind of realised that all the popular people and the girls like this guy, he's the DJ. So it was like, right, mum, I need decks for Christmas. Um, and yeah, basically the rest is history, to be honest. So how old were you when you first started DJing then? Uh... 16 learning how to mix 16 got my first gig actually um just like school disco private parties and then 17 i was 17 when i first played in the club i was quite lucky like at the time in my area being a dj was still quite a big thing obviously now you know it's, it's a lot it's a lot bigger it's than my, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah well i, I kind of grew up as a teenager in barking and there wasn't many of us so yeah i, I got on the scene quite quickly that's cool. Sammy, how did you kind of first get, get involved with it? Um, weirdly, actually, like before really getting into like garage, I was into like hip hop, um, a lot of like US rap stuff, but then also like at the same time, a lot of like indie, like more like band music really. Um, but yeah, in terms of like first record, probably, uh, MD express, Mike Dunn got maybe funky. It's probably one of the first sort of like, garage nice. thing that I, I really heard like I come to, I come into this a lot later than than George with that but that was sort of one of the things that really got me into dance music really before that it was it was I was into Eminem and trying to dye my hair white and stuff like that so <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was a million miles off it um but then I only really got into dance music then but I, was, I wasn't like trying to DJ at that point like, that was like a that was a bit of a pipe dream but then mm. going to try and buy vinyl and buying musical mob, uh, Pulse X was one of the first sort of things I actually bought on record, which is, it's a, it's a grime tune now, but at the time, no mm. one really knew what that was. That was like a mm. kind of one of the first grime tunes to really ha- like be a grime tune rather than be a garage tune. Um, yeah. at the time, the, the thing was to, to MC over it. But yeah. It, it, it's, it's, I mean, I'm sure if you went to a grime rave now, you'd probably hear that or an edit of that or something in that. Even today, like uh, my studio is next to a radio station, which does, does grime pretty much consistently. And I still hear it now. And this is 15, probably more years later. So I still hear that, but yeah, buying that on vinyl and actually going sort of going from buying it in like HMV into like learning about record shops and going and trying to go and collect things and, I then started sort of buying vinyl, which was like trying to collect vinyl, which was way older than that. Um, I kind of come into it a bit backwards, really. But um, yeah, that was the first thing I actually thought, okay, I'm going to give this DJ thing a go when kind of when I realized I really couldn't MC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, <laughs> the MCing wasn't for me. Uh, I was going to give the DJ thing a go. I must have been about 16, 17, probably. Mm. But yeah, that. And then as a third one, uh, I'm going to say something for myself, really. But yeah, it's a sort of like a career changing moment. Uh, I have to say a bit patchy, really. Uh, I'm very grateful for that record and what it's done for me. Uh, that was sort yeah, of a, for sure. 
it was it was sort of the moment I realised this could I could actually give this a go career wise, like as an artist rather than just a DJ. If that makes any sense, like I was I was DJing yeah. for forever before that, but that was the sort of the, the turning point where I thought, okay, like I could actually make a living and career off off of music rather than just going to DJ places on the weekend and stuff like that. Um, I, I didn't really realise that that world was there and, and sort of accessible for me. But yeah, that was the sort of turning point for me anyway. And so when were you, when were you first starting to produce music? Um, before that, I was, I was quite heavily trying to do dubstep, uh, for as, as Sammy poor or as a different <laughs> alias. <laughs> no, there's nothing, nothing under this name, but <laughs> it was me and Chrissy Chris doing dubstep under a, a different alias, which, I'm sure you can look up on Google some point, but yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> well put it that way. It's, it's the music at the time, unfortunately, but um, yeah, it was doing that for probably three or four years before really trying to make house music. But um, weirdly, the like the dubstep thing was huge, and then suddenly just kind of fell off the map in terms of the sound we was making. It was very like it was totally it was, disappeared, didn't it? Yeah, it, it, at one point it was in sort of high street clubs in the UK where you couldn't go out on a Saturday night without hearing a dubstep remix of a pop song or yeah. something like that. And then all of a sudden, it it fell off the, like the face of the earth, really. In terms, especially this country. Um, yeah, I don't think we've seen a genre just disappear like like dubstep did in that kind of space of time, did it? Because it it arrived. In like a, in a heartbeat as well, didn't it? And then it just kind of did two, three, yeah. four years. <laughs> I mean, by the t- it was by the time we got good at making it, and by the time we actually got signed as that alias, it it was almost dead in the water. It was weird. But um, UK was Funky was another one, though, wasn't it? Yeah, UK yeah. Funky had a, a very fast rise and a and a, and a very fast fall, really. Um, yeah. But you do you do still hear music which represents that now, but you don't see many people like there are still some, but there's not many people still consistently making that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And George, your production career when did that kind of all kick off? Um, 2017. So I'd kind of been I'd messed around with a with a friend of mine uh, in the garage days, but we never really took it seriously. It was like just put a few things out on vinyl really bad to be honest when I listen back to it now <laughs> but uh, 2017 I, do you know what it, it kind of came it, it was almost accidental to be honest with you because I I had the Love Juice brand and I was like well, I want to be a label with it but I kind of want it to be me that launches it and Sammy was already kind of um I think four years in by that time five years in um and I just came with an idea f- um which was a vocal uh, that ended up being ain't nobody else and um, we just started jamming in the studio and really quickly it kind of came together. Um, and then where that did so amazingly well, we was completely both shocked at how well it did. I was kind of like, oh, I probably should carry this on. So when I went back to school, Danny Ableton course, uh, and basically just got crackings. But 2017 was when it started. I'd say 2018 as myself really was the first time I came out. So it's only been two years, two, three years, tops. Yeah. Sick. And you, you mentioned Love Juice and you guys kind of working together on that project. When did, when did that all kick off and, and how did it kick off initially? Um, so that is a lot older than a lot of people probably realise. That kicked off in 2007. Um, 
I was, I'd done a string of events kind of in local towns, um, multi-genre type brands. Um, and I just got to a point where I wanted to try something different. So funny. And it's, I mean, it's going to sound funny now because all these years later, but it, it loved you's actually launched at sugar hut in Essex, the Towie venue. Um, <laughs> But this it was actually, it sounded... wasn't Towie then. Yeah, this is before Towie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was like, I, I don't want to make it seem like it was like super cool. Like it, it wasn't Berlin, Berlin-esque, but it was like, it was all right for the time. But it mm. was really interesting because it was that era where like everywhere in the mainstream was telling us that sort of like T-Pain and Little Wayne and Sean Paul was really big. But we were actually playing house in this room that I remember having a thousand people in there, but it was only actually about 300, but it's felt like the biggest thing ever then. Um, and we were playing like fairly credible kind of like house music, the early kind of like bingo players, soul Avengers, um, Freddie Legrand, all that kind of stuff and, and, and more underground than that, to be honest. Um, and we just created something really cool. And then I think the greatest thing is that sugar high actually burnt down. And now it sounds bad to say, but that's really what allowed Love Juice to be rather than just a Sunday at Sugar Heart. And then, yeah, the rest is kind of history. We've, we've done, we've done 13 years just gone of Love Juice. So, yeah. Crazy. Mad. I think a lot of people don't know that to be fair. I think a lot of people think it's been around for a few years and it's suddenly yeah. around and, and so forth. It's, it's been a, Oh, yeah. I was playing room. I was playing hip hop in room two when Love You started. Sick room. It was a sick room. I think I was playing yeah. in room two when that started. I don't think many people know that. Like that, it's come a long way from being like what was predominantly a, a house thing in room one and, and a sort of a, a more underground like R and B hip-hop thing in, in room two to, to where it is now in terms of actually being like a, an actual rave event. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. When did, you, when did you guys kind of make the move into like the central London venues? Obviously E1 and big home for you guys. A yeah, lot of yeah. events there. Yeah. 2016. Um, I just felt like we want, I wanted to be a bit more um, directional with the music, which meant that, uh, we only you can only be really music focused in my opinion when you're in a, a proper space to, you know this fit for that sound so we were kind of like we were we were we were predominantly house but it was always multi-genre up until that time and i just said no you know what i really feel like it's time for us to just kind of go back to our roots and focus in on what the main room was always about with love juice and let's just go house music so yeah we moved into kind of like east london central london um in the more kind of warehouse spaces and I haven't looked back since I, I, you know, it kind of went from being a brand that always sold out, but we kind of had like a family of a pool of people that would pretty much go to every show. Suddenly like people from all over London and then all over Southeast was experiencing it for the first time. I think everyone had always heard of us, but we were kind of over there and suddenly it was, it was accessible to loads of people. So yeah, it was cool. And then obviously you guys went international as well. Yeah that's a big move for any UK event company. Was that yeah. like a, must've been a big deal for you guys. Was it? Yeah, we went international actually in 2010, took a bit of a risk right. on, on Marbella. Um, another Towie one now. Um, Towie <laughs> plays an important role. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it, it's crazy because all the kind of regulars from Love Juice have all gone on to be absolutely famous and rich, and I'm still here. So, yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, we um, we started Marbella uh, 2010. That became quite an iconic pool party. Um, off the back of that, hooked up with um, Hard Rock and, Ush- and, the, and a lot at Ushuaia and IB for done some stuff there. Um, we've done parties in Dubai probably for five, six years. The most exciting stuff that we did in Dubai was when we did a weekly at Dre's as a pool party. That was cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I've loved it all, but um, I'm not just saying this. Genuine, genuinely, I love where where we are in London because like I've seen I don't know how many sort of clubbing generations come and go since we launched so to still see young people just turning up to E1 in the warehouse enjoying our music and a lot of the music that we're, we're signing to the label is just yeah that's great it's uh, you know it's amazing every time when I wake up and I'm like wow we've done another one so yeah it's been it's it's been one hell of a journey so far definitely and you, you mentioned that you guys like you have kind of family of people that come to every event, or you certainly did at one stage. It feels like from the residents and the lineups that you you book, you kind of, you've got a bit of a kind of family with the acts as well. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, that's something that we've always really pushed. To be fair, we we've had uh, maybe three sets of residents over the thirteen years. A few have been there since day one, like Sammy. But it's mu- music direction is really important to us. I think Sammy will probably agree with this. Like we've booked many artists, big, big, credible names um, who don't get me wrong, all slamming and um, all incredible DJs within their right. But sometimes that hasn't always matched what we do. It is quite, it is quite a special vibe at Love Juice. Like we're not, we're not one of anything um, with regards to like, we're not just tech house. We're not deep house. We're just kind of, it's just our sound. And um, so I'm, I'm always really conscious that we work and have regular artists or DJs around us to understand that. So that's why we tend to, yeah, tend to use residents more so, less so headliners. It's never really been a headliner driven brand, to be honest. Mm. As Sammy, you mentioned uh, that you used to kind of do the hip hop room in room two. Um, obviously, I'm guessing you've always done house stuff as well. How did you kind of hone in on the, the Sammy Porter sound that is now? Um, I mean, I was, I was always DJing out doing, I mean, at at that point I was straight out of university. I was, I was looking at like, if, if you was willing to pay me to DJ, I was going to come and DJ. I didn't, I didn't mind what genre you wanted to play. I'd play it. I was there for it. Um, I think it was more sort of the love of just DJing more so than the love of one genre. Like I still love hip hop now probably couldn't play it that well now but (laughs) (laughs) it's been a while but um i was always sort of like so focused on just just djing i just i just wanted to dj no matter what like this is way before production but um at that point i was so focused on trying to get gigs anywhere and everywhere i was taking shows that if if you wanted to go and book me for a shooting event and i I had to come and play a complete mashup of house hip-hop and indie rock and drum and bass i was i was there for it i was i was down for that um but it was kind of a conscious decision that i'm gonna make house music like if i'm gonna make house music but then i'm gonna get bookings where I, i didn't want people to come to a booking to see me play but then be surprised at what i played like if, if you knew me from a song like and then you turn up and i'm playing something completely different 
it, it seemed like a, I was sort of alienating people straight away. Um, yeah. But yeah, probably about five, probably about six, seven years ago, I made like the choice, like that. Even if you wanted to book me for X student gig or or, or whatever gig it was, unless I was playing this, I, I'm I'm not going to do it. Um, and don't get me wrong, that that did hurt for a while from from someone who was playing out. I mean, this is kind of all I've ever done, like play, just do gigs at the, obviously not now with, with COVID, but, but yeah, uh-huh. do the weekend. But yeah, for, for a good few years before, like it, it kind of took me to realize that I need to just do that and just do that. Well, make that music that I like, play that music that I like rather than come there and try and please everyone. Like you can't, you're never going to please everyone. Like you, you can't make one sort of music and then someone buys a ticket to come and see you and then you play something completely different. And I've seen that in some yeah. artists. Sometimes I've I've been excited to see someone play, and they, you turn up and they play completely different to what you know them for. Like, and it's, it was like a bit disappointing to go and like you've invested all that money in the ticket and the time and effort to go there, but then you go there to see them, and it's a complete different thing to what you yeah. expect. Yeah, it's so, the worst. Yeah. It took a few years of like of saying no to a lot of stuff. Like even people I was working with regularly, like West End venues and student venues that were booking me consistently for years and years and years, I suddenly said, I'm not going to take any of them gigs. Um, That's a hard move yeah, to make, yeah. isn't it? Because you're literally kind of cutting off your, your work source, I guess. I mean, yeah, this is this is like, this and, and events is all I've, I've actually done ever. So it's I've never actually worked like, I've worked a day in my life. Now I've worked <laughs> a, conventional, like, a conventional nine to five. I think I've had a nine to five for maybe like a week. In, in my whole life um, what would you be doing if you weren't doing music what would that 9 to 5 be I, you know what I don't, I don't even know like I I went to uni and done, done, a, done a degree and all that and tried to pursue a career in like that was the I got sold a bit of a dream really I went to uni to do engineering and I thought it was going to be sound engineering and I kind of thought it was going to be like I, I fooled myself into thinking that I was going to do sound engineering and, and sound engineering would be some sort of that, some point in that degree. But then across all them years at university that it took me to graduate, there was nothing to do with sound at all. It was more to do with structural engineering and, and computer science, stuff like that. It was, it was like a million miles from what I actually wanted to do. But yeah, yeah. I guess if, if I wasn't doing this, something in that field, if, mm. probably, if not probably something to do with marketing really, I guess that's the it kind of ties in. I still, I enjoy marketing and, and sort of that side of it. So if it wasn't for this, probably that I'm going to yeah. retrain as a, as an engineer again. <laughs> what is it? Retrain. Retrain. Think. But yeah, it's not that. Nice. George, what would you be doing if, uh, if you weren't doing this? Oh, hands down football, man. I mean, like music. <laughs> not, not, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me. People hearing this are going to be like, he can't play ball. I can't play ball. But I mean, in but terms of being, no, being involved in it, I'm, I'm a talk sport guy. I'm on the phone all day looking at what's going on. It would be, it would be that. But equally, like with, with what Sammy said, I think the reason I do what I do is because I do enjoy marketing. So I quite like just building brands. But my, my I guess. If you follow me on Twitter, you would know this, but my second passion is definitely music. So, sorry, football. 
So with the faster <laughs> music, faster yeah. <laughs> music, music. <laughs> we'll cut that out. It's fine. <laughs> um, Sammy, I want to just touch on obviously the radio show at Rinse. That's been, I guess, a big part of kind of establishing your sound as a as a DJ currently um, as well. How did you get into that? Um, weird actually. It was um, someone I knew there was a producer who is now actually at Spotify, but um, she was producing there and a friend of mine introduced us and said, I'll oh, just come and do like a, a string of guest mixes. But the guest mixes were like, it was like a, it was like a before breakfast show guest mix. For me, this was a, I just said yes. Cause it, I don't care if it was five o'clock in the morning, I would have taken it at that point. So yeah, I went on to do a week of that, of getting up at four o'clock in the morning and trekking down to the studio to cover a, to cover a, basically a pre-breakfast show um but they just let you play what you want which was mm. there was there was no like okay it should be this it should be that it was just nice to come in and play anything you wanted to which i have to give credit to rinse for they're, they're really not like they don't control any of the shows so mm. you could come if you want to come and play rare groove for two hours you can come and play rare, like you could play any any genre you, you feel passionate about so it was nice to be given a platform to come and play exactly what I wanted to play, which before that I was always in clubs where I was having to like cater for what was in the clubs or yeah, it, it was more of a, if it was more of a VIP crowd, they want to hear this, like they, you had to cater for what was there. But yeah, getting invited on to do, to do that was a, a chance for me to play what I actually want to play. Um, and then after, after doing that, uh, the guest mix for for a, a few weeks solid. They just said, "Okay, take a take a monthly show and two hours of whatever you want to play," which was yeah, nice. Nice. And there was, George, there was Love Juice Radio for a bit, wasn't there? Is there still? Oh, you hit a sore point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. We don't have to talk about that. We don't have to talk about that. <laughs> no, Do you know what? I, I, no, yeah, there was, and it was going really well. Um, and I basically just got a bit lazy with it, being transparent <laughs> with you. It's not, you know what? It's because the thing is, like, I'm really uh, uh, since the beginning of time when I've been into music, I'm addicted to to knowing what's what all the new tracks are. So, like, it's not even through, yeah, it's not through anything other than straight laziness, being transparent. I'd, I've got, I'm up to date with everything, but also as well, I'm pl- I'm playing it down a bit. Um, Love Juice has kind of um, blown up a little bit more since when we first launched it. So yeah. um, we've been focusing on, on the event side, but it is definitely something that I have to, and I've been getting battered for, uh, for not keeping going. So, cause it was really cool. Like um, for me, like bumping into people at the shows or randomly in the street and saying, Oh mate, I listened to you in the gym the other day, you know, all of that. I'm sure, <laughs> you know, you know, Ben, this is, this is your normal life. So, but um, yeah, no, it was cool from, from all aspects. And obviously as a label, we should be showcasing our music as much as possible. So it's something we'll bring back. I, I am a real passionate guy for radio. So it could have played yeah. 18 weeks of events straight, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. It fell off. Uh, to be fair, I can't even blame COVID because it fell off before COVID. To be fair, so yeah, I'll get I'll get back on that. Um, you touched on the label. I was going to talk about in, talk about it in a bit, but let's let's do it now. Um, obviously, you, you said earlier that you always wanted to to have a label mm-hmm. as part of the brand. Yeah. What What is it about having a label? And this applies to kind of artists in general because so many artists, you know, really want to have their own label and and yeah. and, and do. What is it about having 
your own label that appeals to you? So for me, it weren't really to do with the artistry. Um, I wanted the label more for the brand. And I think because we'd always been uh, um, sort of mildly multi-genre, I really wanted to kind of have a, st- uh, you know, like when you, we spoke earlier and I said, right, in 2016, we're going to go just dance music. It was kind of like along that same kind of lines. It was like, right, we need this to kind of reinforce the statement we're sort of trying to make as to this is what the Love G sound is now. This is what we represent. Um, and also I felt like I wanted my, my residents and my DJs and kind of my, my social peers to have a space to be able to put music out. Cause it, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of producers listening. It's not easy. Um, some of the greatest streams have probably never been heard, you know? So we just wanted, uh, to yeah, to have a platform in order to do that, and also I think within myself, I've always DJed at the Love Juice shows as well, um, and I knew that I couldn't just go from being someone who played a little bit of R and B, a little bit of hip hop, and house to suddenly oh, I've got a brand new tune. I didn't want it to be that way, so I kind of wanted a, a real journey towards that kind of new road um, with regards to our new sound. Me coming out and saying I play dance music now, I'm a dance artist it was kind of all linked in and I think fingers crossed we're starting to get there. So yeah, it worked. I think. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> um, and we touch on your sound, George. I think what strikes me is just like what is so distinctive about your sound is the vocal hooks and the, yeah. the samples that you use. Yeah. How is, how do you find these? I mean, obviously they're kind of gems from, and obviously they're influenced by, I guess the garage route that you yeah, came in. Yeah, yeah. Do you build a track around a vocal? Do you hear the vocal? I'm like, right, I'm going to do that. Or how do you come, how do you start a track? Um, cool. It, it, I think I've, I think I've now kind of got my structure only now, to be honest. Um, I will, first of all, I'm, I mean, I've got this M and EK remix coming out soon, but other than his track, I've only ever worked with females. Um, I'm a, real R&B lover. And I think that was another thing that got me into Garage in the beginning because back then it was like Nick and Acapella from a R&B, um, big R&B track, cut it up, uh, kind of, I think the likes of MK and Grant Nelson kind of really set that precedent for and, and Todd Edwards for chopping up vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I guess, is ingrained in me. So I try and find R&B undertone sounding vocals from wherever that may be. And um, yeah, it's, do you know what? Like I was so engaged with garage that it's impossible for that not to have a massive influence on my sound. So yeah, vocal, vocal chops. And like I said earlier, um, I try and make music that I, I think to myself, if a girl was to pick that up on Spotify, would she listen to it? Um, so yeah. So I like what you said about the vocal hooks and, and cuts. Cause that is something I try and get across, but yeah, it, it comes from, it comes from a love of kind of nineties R and B and nineties garage. Basically that's where it comes from. I've always done like a lot of his stuff on like I'll listen to stuff he sent me like a, he, he's got a snippet of something and I think how has he found that bit of the vocal I have to give you credit <laughs> for that like, like how long you spend going through like little tiny bits of a thing and think like, hey that's yeah. the bit I use like and just trying to get something which you don't always go for the obvious thing which I think uh, that's a I have to give you credit for that yeah yeah i i have that yeah i've had this conversation with sammy before actually if i if i you know i have done it i'm sure many others have too but if i do nick uh, a well-known vocal i will never use a chorus 
I will actually make a chorus mm. out of the middle of the verse or something like that, or or a pre-chorus just out of vocal cuts. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, last night I was at it. I reckon two hours listening to an eight-bar loop to the point where I was like, I'm I nearly nearly fell asleep. But I, I wanted a specific cut, and sometimes it's just a breath or something that is missing, and then and then I get the swing that I want or whatever. So yeah, it's I, I can't imagine ever putting out a record without a vocal. I, I literally can't imagine it. Like that's kind of what makes the whole drive of the record. My groove, the drums, all kind of goes um, with the, the main vocal loop. And that's really what, after that, building the rest of the record is quite easy. So. Sam, you're always posting, always see on your Instagram, like you're just working on little re, like revixes and kind of edits on, on the fly. Is that a big part of your DJing? I mean, when I kind of went from when I really got into making music, like for coming from the dubstep thing and trying to do the house stuff, it was it was literally kind of okay, okay, what's a what's a hot record or or what was even hip hop records at the time? That what, what what's a hot hip hop record? Or can I remix that into it's like I could play in a house set because I, I still like that music. I still wanted to play stuff with that that influence. So it was originally just doing bootlegs. Really, that was the just okay. This is this is a hot record. Okay, cool. Let's go and let's edit it. I don't think that passion ever left me really. Um, there was a time mm. where I kind of said, no, I'm not going to do any more bootlegs. I'm just going to make like, it's only official stuff or it's only like top line sessions or, or stuff like that. But I've never fell out of love with it. Like that I'm never not going to enjoy getting an acapella and chopping it up and, and, and doing that. I actually enjoy that more than doing sessions. If I'm honest with you, like if someone said mm. to me 10 hours in the studio, what do you want to do? I'd, take five things and cut them up and make something new out of it mm. more so than going in with two top liners and a, and a vocalist and stuff like that but I enjoy both but definitely that's that's kind of what I started doing and I'm never going to not enjoy that yeah and, you, and you, you know you've always done a lot of kind of official remixes as well which I guess fits that mould I think that kind of come off the back of being known for doing the, the remix, like the, the edit bootleg thing, really. Yeah. I, I don't think the official work would have come otherwise. I, I think without that, you wouldn't necessarily have seen me like, I wouldn't have got the offers to do this remix, that remix without having the yeah. sort of groundwork of being known as the guy that, that does that. And just consistently putting them out at that point, I, I wasn't in a deal. I was literally just releasing music whenever I wanted. I was, it was, it, this is, this is early days of SoundCloud free download time. So it was, a, it was a, it was a great time for just, if you made a song, I could have it on SoundCloud the same day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which I'm, I remember, um, when tiny was doing disturbing every week and, uh, Charles and him are planning that their sets. I think Sammy's re- edit of, what one was oh, it? Yeah, it was, it was when. Um, but that same again with that, that. That actually started as a bootleg. But um, it was Tiny and Jess Glynn not not letting go. That's uh, it. They ended up using that, didn't they, as the actual performance yeah, track? He actually uses the edit, like the unofficial edit that I done in his like festival performance. I see. We um, <laughs> watched it at Sundown last year. It was so weird to see. Yeah. I was like, you're not even performing the original. You're performing like the edit of like where I've chopped all his vocal up and stuff like that. It was, it was great, good. Great to see. But yeah, that, that the same thing though. That was a, that's a, that was a SoundCloud free download. That was, um, it was Charles. He's a, a friend of ours who, who was Tiny's DJ, just chucked the vocals and I got to work on it. It was great. It was a, 
it was exciting because you, there was there wasn't like okay you've got to send it to this A and R and he's going to make a million changes you've got to send it to this person if he was happy yeah. with it it was out like yeah. you could work on something and you could put it up that day and literally see what people think of it straight away you haven't got to sit and plan and and schedule it for four weeks time and, and all this sort of stuff if you make if you made it you could put it out tomorrow whatever you yeah. want and I, I did like that the freedom of just doing kind of whatever you want whenever you want mm. um i really value that i actually st- I, f- I feel like i stopped doing it for a bit but I actually i shouldn't have i feel like i should have carried on doing edits and bootlegs and and just giving stuff out for free and stuff like that i kind of thought that if i gave away like a load of of, of music whether it be original or edits i kind of thought that by the time i actually asked people to buy something or stream it i feel like you'd be more inclined to if that makes any sense because you've yeah I've given you loads of stuff for free over the period of like three or four years. By the time I actually got songs out, it it wasn't such a big ask for you to make like to go and buy it or stream it when you've already had like ten songs from me for nothing. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you think yeah. that the sort of SoundCloud that kind of era is changing a little bit now that everything is so reliant on Spotify and Apple streaming? I mean, I've not heard someone brag about SoundCloud numbers in a, a very long time. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I guess it makes it harder to do those edits, right? Or to publish those edits other than as a kind of DJ bootleg tool because yeah, it's all got to be cleared and it's got to go through. Like, if I put something up on SoundCloud as a, as a freebie, you'd get just normal people downloading it where now you just get... You, you just get DJs, I guess. But yeah, there's, there's kind of no need to download a, a song from from SoundCloud for free unless you are a DJ. But but yeah, it was a it was a kind of a holy time for like free downloads. It was this is like when it was a hot thing to do, and I feel that even now, like I, I've done, I've, mate, I've done one this week. Like I've done an edit this week and just put it out for free and just and just see where it went. Um, it's not the most polished thing. Do you know what I mean, it's not like I haven't sat there and sent it to five different master engineers and get it professionally mixed and all that. It just literally is. I've bounced it and I've just uploaded the web, like, and, and that was it. But yeah, it's, I, I do guess it is more focused on streaming now than ever. But I still look for like if I'm going to play somewhere, I'll still check SoundCloud for what's for, for like an edit or something like that. Or, or I find it a bit like crate diggery. Like it, it kind of reminds me of going to like a record shop and having like browsing mm. through like, loads of loads of loads of crap records and trying to find a gem like you can you can browse through like a hundred free downloads on on soundcloud and you might find something that that no one else has got like yeah, it, yeah. It's a fight. like you know like the top playlist on spotify you know every dj is going to have that or you know the people top 100 you know, top 10 yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know every dj is going to have that like oh, i've got the the house top 100 or the tech house top 100 or the minimal top 100 but if you if there's like some super cool edit that i don't know it's got i've sometimes found stuff on soundcloud which has got like 100 plays but then i've downloaded it for free and then i've played it in in every set for for months on end and yeah. I, I kind of it feels a bit like early it kind of reminds me what i've kind of got into with like early dub plate culture or like trying to find if you're trying to find the garage or grind vinyl that only one record shop had it was like it was hard to find at that point it wasn't accessible which i quite like that yeah yeah and you touched there on um kind of playing stuff out as being you know one of the most important ways of getting music out there i kind of want to 
slowly start wrapping up because I think I've taken enough, enough of your afternoon. Um, but obviously this year has been uh, a massive challenge for DJs and events. Um, it looks like potentially something is, is, is going to kind of save us a little bit early next year in the form of this vaccine. But as you know, obviously touring DJs and event promoters, how, how, I mean, obviously you guys were super busy throughout that summer period. You've made the most of the love pub and grub thing. Yeah. What was, well, firstly, what was the kind of the, the, the thought process behind that? You're just like, right, this is what we can do. We're going to get out there and do uh, it. Was it? I actually love telling this story you're about to tell. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, I can see it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Do you know what? Um, we, so we're quite a funny bunch. Cause like, whilst everyone was super depressed and I think, um, and I don't say that lightly, like the first two or three weeks was tough because mm. we didn't know what it was, how serious it was going to be. The government was giving us mixed messages. They kind of still are. Um, <laughs> but like no one could see any light at the end of the tunnel, but we were always planning on some kind of comeback because we thought this can't last forever. And I think we come from like, as a kind of collective that makes up love juice, we're just used to being super busy. So we was planning and planning and um, one of the biggest things we do, which is now industry standard, was was uh, to do a sign-up campaign for the first party back. So we already had that going. And then in June, when we was all expecting like the world to go back to normal, Boris said, okay, you guys can go out, but no close contact. Clubs can't open in the way they were before. Mm. It needs to be outside and stuff. So I literally just shut myself off in a room, turned off all the lights, <laughs> and then literally thought, what, what could work? Um, and then I just, rem- I just remember thinking in the summer, like when I'm not in a kind of sweaty warehouse networking or whatever, uh, a festival, what are some of the lo- things I like to do? And that is just to literally chat rubbish with my friends in the sunshine, have a burger and have a beer. And I just thought, yeah, this is it. Um, and Love Pub and Grub came together. I think I thought about the concept on Thursday. By Monday, we was on sale, and the following Saturday, it, it, it was. It existed, um, and it sold out. It was Amazing. Nuts. And it was supposed to last four weeks. It ended up lasting 14. So um, it's, it's a weird one. Uh, I think I'll remember, I will look back and remember lockdown with kind of mixed memories, but it's kind of birthed and unearthed a brand-new brand that I think we'll carry on with again next summer. So, yeah, I think... I really value, obviously, I understand why there are uh, a growing, there's a growing illegal rave culture. Um, and I'm almost a little bit excited about that, I, I guess, as a music lover and as an artist. But I also feel that um, I do appreciate that promoters like ourselves who have kind of like been able to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They've been flexible and been able to kind of adapt, 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 yeah, adapt with the times and do different things. And I think it's it's been great for all of us. We've all been challenged, um, and it was really that crunch time to get creative. And that's what kind of launched backstage as well when we moved inside at E One, which is what we try to do is kind of still offer that club experience, you know. Um, but yeah, obviously everyone's social socially distanced, but it's been well received, and we was all super nervous about it, you know. No one quite knew what to expect. But uh, yeah, I mean, for anyone listening, if this goes on for another f- four or five months, I would encourage you to to, to definitely have a crack, adapt. Everyone kind of, um, we, I personally feel the Love Juice lot have really appreciated that we have still been able to get them out and they've still seen their friends and, um, and their bubbles. Um, so yeah, um, 
it's yeah, interesting seven months for sure. Yeah, it I'm sure. Built like I think you run with with the name Love Pub and Grub on the Wednesday. I think it went on sale the Monday, and then we built it from the Monday, like with the team at E1. We were literally on site watching a crane move containers and stuff like that, like within the space of a week. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a learning curve. Definitely, it was a, it was, it was a good, it was a good challenge. But it, the, I think people think that, like, we had this planned the whole time of lockdown. It was planned the last week of lockdown. <laughs> 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 Like op- that that Love Pub and Grub site opened the the second we was allowed to open. It opened at twelve o'clock on the fourth of yeah. July. The first yeah. time pubs could open. Um, it was literally a literally a dere- <laughs> it was literally a derelict car park, and we kind of challenged ourselves to get as close as I guess the world of like the box park kind of, you know, mm-hmm. uh, industrial social space. We challenged ourselves to get as close to that as possible in about four days. And I remember turning up the day before and it did not look ready and we'd sold the tickets and I was like, <sighs> I was like this is not, yeah, this is not going to work. And I think we got there at like 8am uh, <laughs> on the morning and we were still running around big black bags, putting bricks in there and it, because it was completely derelict. Um, obviously the club has had no idea. Say the club is yeah. the, the customers had no idea. Um, and yeah, actually, uh, you know, to see the response from that and to see how far we ran with it. Um, I think if we'd have had the agreement for the winter, we'd have carried on as well. Um, out mm. there. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I'm obviously super gassed about clubs coming back. Um, and the new normal, but I actually do, you know, I, went, I remember going to um, Soho in the summer and thinking, I actually prefer this. Like people were sat in the, because they pedestrianized it, didn't they? So Yeah, that was, that was nice. It was. <laughs> all, all the restaurant tables out there. <laughs> it was actually cool. I was like, this is like Barcelona. I could, I could get down with this. Um, I'm, I'm kind of hoping some of that stays, you know, like. Um, for sure. But yeah, yeah. Obviously can't wait for, for the dance floor to return. Yeah. All right, well, guys, thank you both so much for coming on the podcast. Just very quickly, what's kind of next for both of you immediately? Sammy, you've dropped a track today, right? I have. On Love Juice, actually. (laughs) 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 Quick plug, yeah. Uh, It's called The Pressure, and it's out now. Um, Yeah, it's something I worked on during lockdown. Uh, Spent a lot of time during the first lockdown working on this and felt it was a good fit for the Love Juice brand. Mm. Um, so yeah, came out today. I'm excited by it. Obviously, still a bit of a, still a bit of a weird time to be releasing music. But I feel that mm. even with the Love Juice label, we've sort of we've cracked on and, and and carried on with releases and stuff like that. Where I know a lot of labels have been quite hesitant to put dance stuff out and more club orientated stuff. Um, I mean, yeah. for us, we've had. Like I know it's not been a full-on rave, but we've had shows since July, so we've still been able to play music out and test it and stuff like that, which has been quite nice. Um, yeah. I think as a label, we've we've probably released a lot more than a lot of labels have really um, during this time. Mm. Albeit, I guess it's a risk really because no one really knows like how this is going to be received without hearing it in a club, I guess. But this is if it's going to be this for a while, you can't just because you can't stop, can you? So. Just cracked on. Yeah. More, more love to releases planned. Got a, got a big one lined up for um 
for December with Volcoda. Should be good. And nice. then I think a few more after that. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. And Josh? I've, I've got, um, so I just released a track, No Surprise, on Simmer uh, as an official single. And then after that, I've got a Sleepwalkers remix with Emanike, um, which I'm super gassed about, to be fair. I think that's, um, I've done, I've done remixes before, um, Joel Corey and, and, and a few others, but I've been a personal fan of Emanike since he, since kind of exploded with ready for your love. So when I got those vocals, it was a pleasure to work with those. So yeah, that's, that's me to the end of the year. Um, and I've got some stuff for next year. Uh, kind, like, yeah, off the back of what Sammy said, I've got some bits where I'm like, I'm very like gung ho, uh, in this moment with, with every decision, whether it be with the events or music. But um, I feel like I've actually released quite a lot over the last uh, few months. So might chill for the early, early, early part of 2021 and then get back into it during spring. But yeah, we've got, we've got a, a, a full schedule in December when Boris lets us back out. So we'll be busy with that. Um, yeah. How many shows? Tears, right? Oh, geez. <laughs> I've seen the flyer. I've seen the flyer with more and more sold out yeah. stickers on it. <laughs> As everyone gets sold out, we put another one on sale. So it's kind of like that at the moment. I mean, the thing is, obviously, they're only, you know, they're smaller capacities. So we were kind of, we were fortunate enough to sell quite um, a mass amount of tickets most months. So it's probably on, on, on the surface and to the naked eye, it's like, oh my God, you guys have blown up and are doing all these things. But it's actually probably only amounts to the same amount of tickets as before. But yeah. um, no, I, I'm really enjoying it, man. And like the last thing I wanted to say on, on that as well is like the biggest thing I think I'll take from the lockdown or should I say the social distancing parties is the way I've been able to connect with the actual customers. Because when you're at a club, you're, you're hid behind the, the uh, what they call them? Crash barriers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you're in the green room and you're, and you're guessing to another promoter or a manager or an agent or something. Whereas now like you're sat on the table and the person that, has been coming to your party for the last year is sat next to you and you can yeah. have a conversation and that that has been amazing and, and that's definitely connected when i'm saying i've got new music out because i'm i feel like i'm getting more support so um yeah i don't want to be like oh my god it's been the best thing ever let's lock down again but, <laughs> but it, yeah yeah there's, there's a lot of positives to take from it that's good man i'd like to put a positive spin on the end you know that's yeah. a finish on a high nice. <laughs> um guys thank you so much for coming on really good to speak thanks and, for having um, us man we'll catch up very soon cool cheers bro